Listener Production. Hi, I'm Amy Dale and I'm not a lawyer. But since working at the Law Society, I've met and worked with plenty of them. And I've also met countless people who need help understanding the law and, more importantly, knowing how to find the right lawyer. That's why we've created this podcast, to help make the law accessible for you, for me, for everyone. No jargon, no law speak, I promise. Just me diving into the most common legal problems to help you make the best decisions possible. Welcome to Lawfully Explained. Roughly one in two Australians own a pet, and many of us consider them to be the most important member of the household. So can a landlord or a strata committee just evict or ban a pet for no reason? We have someone here who is the perfect person to help us decode laws and regulations around your rights, either as a tenant or as an owner, about having a pet in an apartment. And that is Alison Benson, who is an expert in dealing with these sorts of disputes, particularly around strata and other things around living and whether or not we can have a furry friend in our apartment. Alison, welcome. Hi, Amy. How are you? Lovely and lovely to have you here. So first of all, just to give me a bit of a sense of what the situation is like at the moment, what are the current laws around pet ownership? Now, these differ as well to what your living situation actually is. In different situations, different rules apply. Let's take the simple one, house on a quarter acre block, if anybody's lucky enough to own one of those, or just a typical house. So are there any restrictive covenants that apply? And by that, I mean agreements that are registered on the title of your property. If you think back to when you bought your property, there would have been in your contract for sale, a certificate of title. And on that, if there were any restrictions on your title, it would have been registered. So for instance, up in Newcastle, there's a suburb called Fern Bay. And many of the houses in Fern Bay have a covenant that is put on their title. And that covenant is all about keeping dogs and cats inside at night, securely leashed when out of their yards or otherwise in a fenced yard. And the purpose of that covenant is to protect the local koala population. So that's a really good example of a restrictive covenant that if you didn't know it existed, you could easily breach. There's general rules that apply as well. And this is rules for anybody in New South Wales. So for instance, certain dogs and unfortunately, it's dogs in particular, are called restricted dogs under the Companion Animals Act. It's breeds of dogs or crossbreeds of these type of dogs that are considered to be dangerous or dogs that have orders from councils that say that they are restricted dogs. And they're generally dogs that have done something dangerous, so attacked an animal, a person. So is your dog that you're looking at obtaining, is it one of these breeds under the Companion Animals Act that would be restricted? Has it ever been declared to be a dangerous dog uh, under the Companion Animals Act? Council can also go and get orders that a particular dog or a particular cat can be a nuisance dog or a nuisance cat. So they're types of animals that do things such as cause repeated damage to people or to property. Um, You know, if if you're looking to keep a reptile, well, most reptiles you actually need a licence to keep. Are there council guidelines? Uh, And now this, again, 
you need to check with your council because it differs from council to council. There may be restrictions about what type of animals you can keep. If we go to livestock, well, there are different rules for keeping livestock. You might be able to keep chickens or a certain number of chickens, but not a rooster in certain councils. You may be able to keep a horse, but the stable for the horse must be a certain distance from any residence or any other type of dwelling. So you need to have a look at the general rules. Council websites are a really, really good place to start. The RSPCA has a really good guideline on their website as well, but make sure you're looking at RSPCA New South Wales. The next category around laws with pet ownership, that is all about whether you live in a strata or community title development. There are acts govern what you can and can't do in these types of schemes. There is also a recent Court of Appeal case and it's known as the Cooper case. And this case is really important because it was all about a dog called Angus who has since passed away. But Angus did a really, really good thing for everybody else that lives in Australia and community title because they took this case and the effect of the case was that a bylaw could not be harsh, unconscionable or oppressive. It was found by the Court of Appeal that a bylaw that absolutely prohibited the keeping of animals in a lot or on the common property was harsh, unconscionable and oppressive and therefore invalid. My next question, which was going to be, is it legal for properties to say upfront, no pets. So it seems like we have Angus to thank for this now not being illegal. He really did a great job for everybody that's living in Strata and Community Titles. Community Titles have a very similar section in their act. So thank you, Angus. But you also can't have an animal by law that says you cannot have an assistance animal. Why? Because an assistance animal, which is an animal that's referred to under the Disability Discriminations Act, is an animal such as, you know, a guide dog, a hearing dog, or another dog or animal that is trained to assist somebody with a disability. So those type of animals just absolutely cannot be banned. There's another facet to this as well, which is interesting for all of those people out there who are renting. Well, Not only do you have to have a look at the laws around pet ownership that I've just talked about, but you then also have to have a look at the Residential Tenancies Act and what your lease says. So is there a no animals clause in your lease? Check your lease. How far have you seen people stretch the term service or support animal? So there is a difference between what we're calling a a service animal or support animal and an assistance animal. So the Companion Animals Act and the Disability Discrimination Act refer to assistance animals. There's no formal definition, if you like, of a service animal. It's assistance animal in our terminology. I think we sometimes pick up the the American terminology. Um, So an assistance animal, it is an animal that has been trained to assist somebody with a disability. I've seen this stretched so far that the elastic band has broken because clearly somebody saying, I have trained my dog to bark at the telephone because I'm deaf. Well... Okay, that doesn't really make sense, does it? Maybe training your dog to tap you on the leg when the telephone rings to alert you to the telephone would be a better way. But you need to actually um, have a think about, is it a guide dog? They're 
trained. There is an organisation that trains guide dogs. Is a dog that's trained to assist people in activities where hearing is required? Or is it an animal trained to assist a person to alleviate the effect of their disability? Well, if you go back to the very start and the, the purpose behind having an assistance animal, it's to alleviate the disability. If somebody doesn't have a disability, they wouldn't have, by definition, they wouldn't have an assistance animal. So if you don't have a disability, why would you have an assistance animal? That's probably the worst stretching. In a situation where I might be a dream tenant and put forward an application for a property, but I do indicate that I have a pet, is it legal for me to be discriminated against having that property, even though I might be on paper just an absolute perfect tenant, simply because I have a pet? There is no term in the Residential Tenancies Act or the Residential Tenancies Regulation, and these are the the New South Wales Acts and Regulation, that prohibits you from keeping a pet or that requires you to ask for your landlord's consent before you keep a pet. However, in the standard form agreements, it's really, really common to see as a special condition, you cannot keep an animal without permission. And that's why I say check your lease. Can you be discriminated against because you want to keep a pet? You might be earning a gazillion dollars a year, be, you know, the cleanest person on the face of the planet and you've got a pet. Can the landlord say no? Well, yes, they can. There are some situations where they can't say no. I referred to before an assistance animal. It is discrimination if you say no to somebody who needs to keep an assistance animal because an assistance animal is there to help somebody with a disability. Really, really important that people are aware that not all discrimination is unlawful discrimination. Saying no, for instance, to a lawyer that wants to rent a property because you don't like lawyers. And I don't know why, because we're lovely. (laughs) But that's not unlawful discrimination. Um, So that's discretion. So there's discrimination versus discretion? Absolutely. It is what it is. As I said, we lawyers are lovely. Don't discriminate against (laughs) us or be discretionary against us. But you have to actually found the discrimination on something. So you can't treat people differently because of their race, sexual orientation, gender identity, intersex status, disability, and that's where the assistance animals come in, marital status or age. In a situation like this where I think, look, on paper I'm a dream tenant and I have a belief that the reason I was knocked back for a property is because I indicated that I have an animal, how could I necessarily prove that my animal was the problem and I've been discriminated against. As I said, there are a couple of reasons why you'd probably want to do this. One is if you do think it was discriminatory and it was unlawful discrimination. So if you need to keep an assistance animal and the landlord or the real estate agent said no, well, then what you can do is you can ask who the successful tenant was. You don't need to know name, but you do need to know 
Did they have an animal? Did they not have an animal? Were they on a comparable salary? Did they have a comparable background? Now, it's very, very unlikely that the real estate agent or the landlord would tell you this, but if you really do think that you were discriminated against, you could go to the tribunal and you could make a claim that you have been unlawfully discriminated against on the basis of your disability and then you can summons that information from the real estate agent or the landlord. As I said, not all discrimination is unlawful. Sometimes it's just discretion. One of the things I think is really important and I get asked a lot is, should I actually tell my landlord that I want to keep a pet? Well, yes. I would always suggest yes. This was going to be um, my next question. You seem like a very responsible person, Alison. So I was going to say, well, in a situation like this, what happens if I try to just sort of sneak my pet in after I've moved in, what would be the harm in not saying anything? And I thought, you're probably going to say, no, you should always declare it. So if I am trying to move in, should I always tell the landlord or real estate agent about my pet during the application or do I try the sneaky approach? Look, I'm a big believer of putting your best foot forward and presenting your case in the best possible light. In this case, what I'd be saying is put a little pet resume together Uh, And it may sound really funny. (laughs) I know it's adorable if you see them. We used to do it in strata schemes where you could have bylaws that said you can't keep animals or you can't unreasonably refuse the keeping of an animal. I'd encourage pet owners or pet parents to put together a little resume. I love Um, the idea of a pet resume. (laughs) Yeah. So think of what you put in your resume and what matters to landlords and matters to, to people living around you. So have a lovely photo, an adorable photo, have an age, breed, name, the fact that your your animal has been microchipped, if they're required to be microchipped, that you've got a license, if it's an animal that you need to be licensed for, have some references. Let the vet tell them <laughs> or put on writing, you know, how great your animal is. Do they go to doggy or caddy daycare? Get a reference from doggy or caddy daycare. Have a reference from one of your former neighbours. You know, if your animal has been a perfect companion and hasn't caused problems, then Get that in writing from whoever you can. Put it in the pet resume because it presents you and your animal in a really glowing light and it gives the landlord's security that you will be a good tenant and that the animal isn't going to actually cause a problem. They're actually Um, just a model employee. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think it's really important. If you can put that best foot forward, you can also then take the proactive approach and get it in your list that you're allowed to keep that particular animal. I have in my office lease a Labradoodle clause. Uh, so I love the I'm Labradoodle allowed. clause. <laughs> yeah, I am allowed to have a red Labradoodle coming to work with me. I think, and I absolutely love that idea of a pet resume. In a situation for a prospective pet parent, so I've having lived in the property and, and sort of think, yes, it, it is easy to keep a pet. And for this example, let's say sort of a cat or a dog, and I want to get one of those after moving in, can the landlord say no? Like what should be my first option in a situation like that? So a a landlord can say no. If you want to keep an animal, you can renegotiate your lease and just ask for permission. And the permission might come with conditions. For instance, it might be you need to keep the animal outside. It may be that you can only have two animals or one animal Or, you know, if you like to be an equal opportunity household, one dog, one cat. So, you know, you you can negotiate these things even if you're mid-lease with your landlord. The issue is 
if you don't tell your landlord or your real estate agent, you could be found to be in breach of your lease and you could be hauled up before the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal with an order to terminate the lease and for you to vacate the lease. I know that and probably a lot of people will have had the experience of perhaps looking after a pet for someone when you've got a friend or a family member who's got a rental inspection and they go, the owner doesn't know I have a pet, can you just look after my pet for a couple of days? If in the course of, say, an inspection, it was revealed that you do own a pet, either you, you know, forgot to pack up the litter tray or you left some dog food or something out and you are caught, does a landlord have to demonstrate that your pet has damaged the property or is it just the fact that you weren't honest? Is that enough to get you evicted? If I was to take the case, and I always like to stack the decks when I take the cases, I would be looking for damage and I'd be saying not only have you breached your lease because you've got an extra fur person where there should be no fur persons, I would also be saying, and that has had these consequences for me. But technically, just having a fur person in your house when you're not supposed to, that's breaching your lease and that could be enough to see you your lease terminated and you evicted. And look, the amount of times I've had friends, actually I've still got friends doing the exact same thing, that have two fur monsters uh, and <laughs> they don't pack up the litter trays, love, love the fur monsters, but they have been caught on numerous occasions when they're renting because they've forgotten something, whether it's a cat toy, whether it's a, you know, a litter tray. It's a scratching um, post and you can't be like, oh, yeah, this is my it, scratching post. <laughs> Really, really easy to forget these sort of things. You know, personal experience, I've found that people that have animals uh, oftentimes take more care to clean up after the animals than some humans do, quite frankly. I think, yeah, that's also a really interesting point because in a situation, if some, if a landlord may say, well, you're up for extra costs as a pet owner when you leave... Do they have to demonstrate that your pet has caused a sort of extra layer of damage? So if that's messes on the carpet or scratches or or floor damage or those sorts of things, like can they blanket say, if you have a pet, you have to pay extra when you leave, regardless of if your pet has actually caused any damage to the property? There has been talk of some landlords putting in a fumigation or additional cleaning clause in leases. So tenants effectively have the responsibility to not intentionally or negligently cause damage to a property and to return the property to the landlord in the condition that they received it. So if your pet causes damage to the premises by scratching doors, scratching the floorboards, I know my fluff bags have ruined my floorboards, it's your responsibility to fix that damage or to pay for the damage. Can landlords then say, well, I'm going to charge you an extra $20 a week well, it is a, a negotiation. In short rental markets, you may feel that you need to offer that extra $20 a week to cover any damage that might happen. You don't have to though. A landlord, if they're going to, at the end of the lease, say there's been damage, they need to prove that there has been damage. And this is why you have tenancy reports throughout. So when I go into um, premises, I used to take a video 
and I used to go down and, you know, take photos of close-ups of the floors, for instance, of the carpets, if there was any area of the carpet that had been soiled or any area of the blinds or the curtains that had been soiled or the windows, you know, take photos of the fly screens. Have they been damaged before you've gotten in? So you've got your proof that you can rebut the assumption that it was you or your animal that caused the problem. What about a situation where... I either want to pet sit, but also I know that with a lot of animal shelters and rescue animal organisations, they'll often recommend that people foster an animal first. So in a situation like fostering or pet sitting where you may have a couple of pets moving in and out on a more temporary basis, would you have to get that approved each time or would it be something that you could say to a landlord, I occasionally pet sit, you know, my friend's dog or I do some occasional fostering through a a cat rescue organisation and I might have a cat for a couple of weeks and then not. What's the best way to approach something like that? I would literally just tell the, the landlord or the real estate agent exactly what you've just said and be open and be upfront with it to say, look, if they cause damage, obviously we'll cover the cost of that damage. However, you know, this is how they'll be kept. Let them know that you'll be responsible and that you'll take good care of their property and that you do intend to pet sit or to foster uh, and then just ask for that general permission to do so. It's not unreasonable for a landlord to say no in certain circumstances. For instance, you know, say a landlord has just spent $10,000 getting their floorboards polished in their property. It might then be a condition that the landlord says, look, you can have them, but you can have them outside only. Or you can have them inside, but you've got to put down rugs because I've just spent this money on my floorboards and I don't want them ruined. Mm. Um, And that protects you because you're responsible for any damage to those floorboards. But it also assures the landlord as well that their property isn't going to be damaged. A lot of the questions that I've asked you have been around most common pets, so cats and dogs. But obviously, even in the city, I'm sure there are occasionally examples of people wanting sort of different creatures, great and small. What have been some examples of some more bizarre uh, pet ownership requests that you've come across? Oh, look, I do not like spiders. I'll put it out there. Keeping spiders is definitely, to me, that is an unusual request. I, I could not live with anybody who wanted to keep a spider, I must admit, because I, no. I just wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> it, it's a hard no. No, I, I just wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, <laughs> I've had people that have had animals such as snakes. The most bizarre one was, and, and they were granted approval to keep the snake, but as long as it was kept in its terrarium. Um, <laughs> I believe they're kept in terrariums, but in a secure glass enclosure. Um, unfortunately, that person took their snake out to feed their snake regularly. Oh, God. Uh, and they weren't necessarily always with the snake. This and sounds like a snakey, horror movie. Snakey. <laughs> <laughs> a snake's on a plane, snake's in an apartment <laughs> building. We can yeah. guess where this one's going. It went to say hello to people, let's <laughs> just say. So, you know, it's not something that you would expect in an apartment <laughs> building to see a snake. You know, <laughs> There has been some weird and wonderfuls. I can say, and I have seen this in cities before, I've just been driving around in what I thought was just pure suburbia and then come across a horse and went, oh, 
okay, horsey, what are you doing there? I mentioned a little bit before that there are different rules about keeping different animals. And so a horse would be considered livestock. So you've got to have a look at the Local Government Act and what your council's rules are around that. Council can go and get orders against you that you can't keep your animal unless it complies with the state environmental planning policies. As I mentioned before, you know, you might have to have a stable for your horse and it has to be a certain standard of stable, concrete floors, waste plumbed to go somewhere other than into somebody else's backyard and it might need to be a certain distance from any other premises. And just to to give you a couple of examples, horses and cattle cannot be kept within nine metres of a dwelling, so a house, an apartment, a school, a shop, an office, a factory, a workshop, a church, public hall or premises used for manufacture, preparation or storage of food. And I would imagine that councils that are sort of where suburban or city where, you know, you've got a lot of high density. I mean, that seems like it's pretty much a hard no for any type of livestock, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, I would say that's probably a very, very good thing. Nobody wants a pocket pig to suddenly grow up to be not a pocket pig, and then taking the lift with them and, you know, causing all sorts of disruption. Uh, It's not fair to the animals, it's not fair to the other people that live in this game. Taking livestock out, because obviously in, in sort of city and suburban areas, there's pretty much a lot of other barriers that would prevent that. But in a situation like an apartment, where it is the landlord's discretion as to things like cats and dogs, but, you know, rabbits, ferrets, guinea pigs... Like, could a landlord say, look, hate dogs, but cats are fine? Or does it sort of have to be all in or or none in? Well, is it discrimination to say I'm doggist but not catist? (laughs) Um, That's not an unlawful discrimination because it doesn't come into any of our anti-discrimination acts. I like to think I'm an equal opportunity animalist apart from those spiders down them. (laughs) Uh, But... It would be open to the landlord's discretion as to the type of animal. And I suspect the reason that it's always been left that way is because it would depend upon the nature of the property as well. Some apartments just wouldn't be suitable for certain types of animals, particularly not if they're going to be left at home all day. So if you're in a studio apartment that's really small and doesn't have much walking around space and no balcony or open areas, it might not be appropriate to have a big fluff bag of a dog that's very, very active. I think a a landlord would be reasonable in saying no to certain animals because of the likelihood they would cause disruptions and nuisance to other neighbours. Do you find in your experience when most people want to keep a pet, is it typically like a cat and a dog or do you get sort of other weird and and wacky requests? I suppose I think things like ferrets are weird and wacky because I think they're gross like you with spiders. Um, (laughs) Is it more common now for people to want to keep sort of guinea pigs or rabbit or ferrets or those sorts of pets as well? Look, I think it is. So there's a new term, pocket pets, and I love it. So it's the littlies. It's things like our rats. And I have known people that have kept rats and I thought, oh, 
And then I met Raddy and loved Raddy. I can see you <laughs> shivering as we, we're talking about this. But it is becoming more and more common. And reptiles and snakes, all types of birds are becoming more common. But make sure you've got the appropriate licences if needed. Make sure you know how to care for that particular type of animal and that the environment you want to keep it in is going to be suitable for that animal. And a happy animal hopefully equals a happy you and a happy landlord and happy neighbours because there's less disruption caused by that animal that is in distress or is bored. No, absolutely. So another type of pet that I wanted to ask about, or I suppose it's an activity, is beekeeping. Am I allowed to, to keep bees in my apartment? Now, and this is an unusual question. I am so lucky I have looked this up. I actually wanted to keep bees. Oh, okay. Um, so... Yeah, uh, look, I wanted to keep some native bees because I think we need to have bee corridors out there and keeping bees in backyards is one way to do it. In a lot of our strata buildings, you can often now see beehives up on the roofs to get bees back into our urban communities as well. So the quick answer to your question is... Anybody who wants to keep bees needs to be registered with the Department of Primary Industries. Okay. So you can't just grab a hive and keep it. It's also not recommended in terms of being stung. (laughs) Register yourself with the Department of Primary Industries and you can keep your bees. In situations where I might want to start beekeeping or I want to keep an animal like a reptile and I need to know what things do I need to tick off and what licences or things do I need to put in place... Where can people go to get that sort of information? Oh, good question. A really good catch-all place to go is the RSPCA website. They've got really good information, not just on what is required to keep certain animals, but how to keep them as well so that they live their best lives. You could also go to your council website. Lots of councils have taken a pro-animal approach and have got lots of information about what animals can be kept in that particular council area, how they can be kept and links to other government agencies as well. It's typically seen as a rental issue, but obviously given some rules, or, or maybe I'm wrong, can the rules be enforced also at a strata level? So how does this also affect owners of property? So up until very, very recently, you could have a bylaw that said you cannot keep animals in our building or if you keep an animal, you must apply and the owner's corporation must not unreasonably refuse the keeping of your animal. The case of Cooper, which was decided late last year in the Court of Appeal, meant that those sort of bylaws just aren't valid any longer. So we've also seen the Animal Justice Party had some amendments put in to the Strata Schemes Management Act. And so there is a new section under the Act that also has the effect that a bylaw that prohibits unreasonably the keeping of an animal is invalid. So on a Stratus perspective, life for animals is definitely looking up. You cannot unreasonably prohibit somebody from keeping an animal. So it seems like thanks to Angus and his fight and his owner's fight through the courts that we have seen, I suppose, a softening and more fairness, it seems, come into the system that does allow people to keep pets. And so it seems like if you you put your best foot forward with a pet resume, but also do the right thing and be a good person and, and a good pet owner, that we can look forward to many more harmonious years living with our fur children. 
Absolutely. And thank you to Angus and to his fur people, the Coopers, for taking that case because it did go to the Court of Appeal, which is an expensive process. Angus has left a lasting legacy, basically, for all the animals and all the people who are pro-animals and want to live in strata and community titles. So that's his, his lasting legacy for all of us. Perfect. Alison, thank you so much for all of that. You've provided so much great and helpful advice about where people can turn to about getting a pet and going forth in their journey to become pet owners. So thank you so much for all of your help and advice and insights today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope we've helped people who have animal questions out there and weren't quite sure, but now have a better idea of what to do. Absolutely. What you heard in today's episode is not intended as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified professional. I'm not even a lawyer, remember? So if you are looking for legal advice based on your individual circumstances, head to lawfullyexplained.com.au and find the solicitor who is right for you. Lawfully Explained is a listener production in partnership with the Law Society of New South Wales, hosted by me, Amy Dale. Production by Emily Takato and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.